You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. What Christadelphians believe and why? Hello and welcome to Bible Truth Feeder podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org. Now the Christadelphians believe in God, the God who created the natural world with perfect intelligence. The Bible charts much of the rise and fall of ancient empires, the many prophecies which are still being fulfilled to this day. They all confirm the outworking of God's purpose, God's plan is to transform our world when the Lord Jesus Christ will return and take over the management of the world. This episode is also available as a video over on christadelphianvideo.org and yeah, hope you enjoy it. Until next time, may God bless you in your pursuit of God's truth. As Christadelphians, we believe there is a God. Uh, you'd probably expect that, wouldn't you? But it's worth saying that as, as the outset is that, that we believe there is a God. Uh, and part of the, the why, if you like, around this is that we see intelligent design in the universe around us. Yeah, so whether you're looking at the, at the smallest of things and their incredible design, or if you're looking at the largest of things and you see their incredible design, These things, rather like the words that we've just read in the Psalms, lead us to believe that there is a God. So if you've still got Psalm 19 open uh, in front of you, um, we read there that the heavens declare the glory of God. That is to say that simply looking to the heavens, looking to the magnificent uh, creation that there is there in the heavens, that declares to us that there is a God. And the firmament shows his handiwork, all the things that we see then as Christadelphians in in the world around us, whether in, as we said, whether in the tiniest of things or in the the, the most huge of things, they speak to us of an intelligent designer. Verse two, day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. Uh, And that is to say that as each day rolls on, it continues to declare that there's a God. Yeah, as each with each rising of the sun, it tells us over again that there is uh, that there is a God, and it transcends language. It doesn't need to be done in a particular language. Don't need translation to be able to uh, to convey this. And that's the psalmist says this in the next verse. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. You know the the display of the heavens and the display of of the natural world is there for anybody to be able to see and to conclude, if they wish to, uh, that, there is, uh, that there is a God. So we start off from that point uh, of view to say that there, that there is a God, partly uh, from what we're able to see in the created world, uh, but also what we're able to see in world events. And, uh, and one of the most compelling world events, certainly from my perspective as a Christadelphian, is the existence of the Jews in the land of Israel. 
Now, I'd like to turn back in your Bibles, please, to the book of Genesis and to chapter 13, where I'm going to use a couple of verses here to explain why it is that the Jews being in the land of Israel are another pointer, you might say, another signpost to suggest that, there's, uh, that there is a God. And it's because, uh, put simply, that that land was promised to the, uh, to the ancestor of the Jewish people in our Bibles many, many years ago. Um, I'm in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 14, where we read that the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward and westward, for all the land which you see I will give to you and to your descendants forever. So we see then that right back here in the earliest chapters of our Bibles, you have the promise that God's making to Abraham to say, this land, the land that you're in now, and the land that he was in then is the land now known as the land of Israel. This, this land I'm promising to you and to all of your children and children's children and so on. Um, and the children of Abraham are those that are there in the, in the land today. It's been quite a... Uh, a torrid history for the people of Israel, for the Jews, uh, for in the intervening period between the time when this promise was made and where we are now, they've been scattered to the four corners of the earth. Um, but we were led to uh, expect that God would draw them back from those four corners of the earth and bring them back to the land that he promised to them. I'm, I'm going to take you to another passage to, to show you this in the prophecy of Jeremiah, if you'd like to have a look at this. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah 32, it's, uh, it's really helpful, this, because it, it talks about uh, God promising that he would bring his scattered people uh, back to the land they originally promised, as we just saw in Genesis chapter 13. Uh, Jeremiah then 32 and verse 37. <coughs> Jeremiah 32, verse 37, we read, Behold, I will gather them out of all the countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury and in great wrath, I will bring them back to this place and I will cause them to dwell safely. So you put these, uh, these two together then. So you've got right back in Genesis, God promising to Abraham that his children would inherit the land on which he stood. And then in Jeremiah, you've got the prophet there being told by God to say these things, that God would draw back these people, though they've been scattered to all parts of the world, he would draw them back uh, to the land originally promised to them. And then in 1948, uh, so that land was made theirs. Uh, and, and so I step back from this and say, well, there's two very powerful indicators to me that there is a God. That is to say, first of all, when I look around at the natural world, be it in the microscopic or through the or the telescopic, um, that when I look at either of those lenses, it speaks to me of there being a God. And equally, uh, when I look at the, the, the fact that there are Jews in the land of Israel and a land called Israel, uh, similarly, that tells me that the, there is a God. In fact, put it the other way around, I cannot explain why they are there without there being a God. So this is our building block then, we might say. Our building block is that, what one of the first fundamentals of what Christadelphians believe is that there is a God. 
The next fundamental then, after saying that there is a God, is to say that the Bible is God's message to mankind. Yep, so you see these simple steps that we're just making? First of all, the Christadelphians believe that there is a God. And having established that, then Christadelphians believe that the Bible is the means by which God has communicated to mankind what his message is, what he wants uh, men and women to do. Well, why would we say that? Um, well, one of the reasons that we give for that is fulfilled prophecy. Uh, that is, for example, where God has said something and it's been recorded in the Bible and it's come true later on in time, often against all the odds. Yeah, so we've actually talked about one already, haven't we? We've talked about God promising to Abraham that his children, his descendants, would have the land of Israel. And despite the fact that the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans, the, the English, the, the Germans, the, almost any nation you care to mention has tried to push the Jews away from the land or even exterminate them completely. Yet against all of those odds, they are there in the land today. So there's an example then of something that was prophesied in the Bible, and it's seemingly against all odds has, has come true. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons then why we believe the Bible to be God's message to mankind. Um, another fulfilled prophecy would be uh, the prophecy that ancient Babylon would be destroyed, you know, which in the, in, the, in the day, back in the day, would have been utterly inconceivable, you know, to have a, a major, well-established, sophisticated society where, where someone's saying this is going to be completely destroyed and there'll be nothing there was inconceivable, and yet it happened exactly as the prophet said. Yeah, there's another uh, example for you. Um, the anticipation of which world empires were going to follow, were going to follow after Babylon, that was something that was set out actually by the prophet Daniel, set out way ahead of his time, and yet the sequence of those empires followed exactly as was prophesied. And also, perhaps the most important really, is the anticipation that a saviour would come to the world. Not only that, uh, but also that it would be set out very clearly uh, the, the way in which he would be born, um, how he would behave himself, that he would be killed, that he'd be raised again, and that that would happen three days later. All these things then set out in the Old Testament, anticipating the life of Jesus that's recorded in the New Testament. So on this basis, fulfilled prophecy, um, Christadelphians then believe that the Bible is God's message to mankind. I mean, not only that, it's not the only reason why Christadelphians believe that the Bible is God's message to mankind, but also is the fact that the Bible is internally consistent. Uh, by which I mean that although you've got contributors, writers, who are living very disparate lives. You know, so you've got people who are separated by time, hundreds and hundreds of years apart, uh, people who lived uh, hundreds of miles apart, people who lived in, who, sorry, whose lives were so very different. You know, so you've got kings and shepherds, you know, right across the, the, the spectrum, you might say, um, and with it absolutely impossible for them to get together in a room and corroborate and, and work out what the message was together. And yet, despite that, the message is consistent all the way through. Um, 
also points to there being a God that inspired those men to write these things down such that we can have this as God's message uh, to mankind. So there is a God and that the Bible is God's message to mankind. Where do we go next? Well, next, the Christadelphians believe that mankind needs to be saved. Mankind needs to be, it's a bit of a, a dismal picture, isn't it? Mankind needs to be saved. And so that probably the next question is, well, from what? You know, what is it that man needs to be saved from? And it goes right back to the, the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So when God planted, uh, planted the garden and placed the first man and the first woman in the Garden of Eden and said to them, you can, you can eat of all the trees of the garden except for this one, it was too much temptation for them. And so as time went by, it became too much for them to be able to have every single tree apart from one. And so they eventually succumbed to the temptation to take of the, the forbidden fruit, as it's sometimes referred to. And as a consequence, they showed that actually deep down their nature was that they were going to do the opposite of what God said. Yeah, they're given the choice and given enough time, maybe they would go against what God's commands were. And that punishment for that sin passed on. It was, you might kind of say it was genetic. It's passed on throughout all the generations right up to today. And so that same nature if, that, that Adam had, which was, well, given the choice, I will tend to go against God, is the same that we have, that mankind has today, that given the choice, will tend to go away from God. Now, we're told about this in our New Testament, so I'd like you to come, please, to uh, Romans and chapter 5. Uh, Romans chapter 5, and the, the, the proof passage that we're using here is to show that the, the consequences of Adam's sin right back in the Garden of Eden, right back in Genesis chapter 3, flows through through the generations uh, right up to our day and, and indeed beyond. Uh, Romans 5 then and verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, I was talking about Adam now, uh, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. That's a fairly watertight logic, isn't it? Don't you think uh, that, because, uh, the, that because everybody sins, therefore everybody has got this, uh, this curse of death, if you like, that's, uh, that's standing over them? So we need to be saved from this problem that was caused so many thousands of years ago, but we also need to be saved from our own sins as well. It's not just that we've inherited a nature that tends to go against God, but also we need to be uh, find a, a means of being saved from the things that we do wrong as well, um, because the wages of sin are death. That's the next chapter, actually, the end of Romans chapter 6. The last verse, verse 23, tells us that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, there is a God that the God has written down or caused the Bible to be written to give his message to mankind. And in that message, we find this teaching that man needs to be saved. 
and what he needs to be saved from is sin. Well, we were given a, little, given a little hint that there was an answer to the problem there, weren't we, back there in that verse. It wasn't just that the wages of sin is death, but also the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And this is the next then uh, step on our staircase that we're working our way up through uh, this afternoon. The, the Christadelphians believe, taught from the Bible, that God sent his son Jesus into the world to save mankind. Yeah, it's to provide an answer to the problem of sin, if you're with me. Um, I'd like to bring you to John chapter 3 to show you where this is taught in the Bible. John chapter 3 is, uh, is very interesting because the verse we're going to look at is quite possibly the best known verse in the Bible. And yet when it was said, it was said privately. It's interesting, isn't it? It started out as a private one-to-one -one conversation, and now it's the best known verse in the whole of our Bibles. But it's the verse that shows us that, that God sent his son Jesus into the world to save mankind. Well, we're in John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So we believe then that God sent his son, Jesus, into the world to save mankind. Being saved then, if we go to our next step in this journey, being saved means that God considers us as righteous rather than sinful. God, as the words are important here, God considers us as righteous rather than sinful. It does not mean that we are righteous, but rather that God can consider us to be righteous. Let me show you where the Bible teaches this then. Uh, Romans chapter 4. We've been in Romans already, haven't we? I'm taking you back there now. Chapter 4 of Romans is dealing with this point of the way that God is able to take a person's belief and to view that as being right, as being righteous. And the example that uh, the writer, Paul, the apostle that wrote the letter to the Romans, inspired by God, as we said previously, but that the example that Paul uses is the example of Abraham. And I'd like to, to work our way through this. So Romans chapter four and Verse three. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. It's very clear, isn't it, about uh, what we have here. And in actual fact, the point where it's quoting from is the point where Abraham looked at all the stars in the night sky. And on account of looking at the stars in the night sky, believed what God had promised him. And that was quite remarkable, not what he saw in the night sky, but the fact that he believed in what God had promised him, because what God had promised him was that he would have a son, though aged 90 years old, with his wife, who had never been able to have children. And without explanation, Abraham decided to believe God. And God took that belief and recognized it as righteousness. You see, he viewed a sinful man, yeah, because we all are, 
sinful men and women. He viewed a sinful man as being a righteous man on account of what he believed. Now, Paul goes on to explain this a little later in this chapter. Uh, so look down to verse 23. He says, um, he says, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. What he means is, it was, it's not written, all this is not written down for Abraham's benefit. Doesn't need to be, does it? Because Abraham was there. Yeah, all this is written down for our benefit. So we can understand that the same applies to us. That if we choose to believe in what God has said, that being faith, then that God will, in the same way that he considered Abraham to be righteous, will consider us to be righteous as well. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us. That is, righteousness will be imputed to us if we believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. Do you see how this starts to pull these, some of these threads together then that says um, that God sent Jesus into the world to save people? And if we believe that, then God is able. That's the vehicle, you might say, by which we are saved. By believing in that, God takes that belief and considers us as righteous. Okay, so what have we got then? Uh, the Christadelphians believe there's a God, that the Bible is his message to mankind, that mankind needs to be saved. God sent his son Jesus to save mankind, and being saved means that God considers us as righteous rather than sinful. Well, we also believe that Jesus is going to return to the earth as God's appointed king. Well, why do we believe it? Well, because... Jesus returning to the earth as God's appointed king is taught in our Bibles, which we believe is God's message to mankind, as we've already said. Well, where is it taught this? Where, where are we taught this? Well, Acts chapter one. We're taught this very graphically uh, that Jesus is coming back. Uh, no notion of people going to heaven when they die here, but rather Jesus going to heaven and coming back again. That's what this is all about. Uh, the Acts of the Apostles opens with the Lord Jesus having been raised from the dead, having spent six weeks then with his disciples and then taken up from them. Imagine that they're with him, talking to him, and, and all of a sudden he's taken up from them. You know, what, imagine the scene. Which way do you think they're looking? <laughs> they're looking at where he's just gone. They're looking up. And because they're looking up, uh, there's two men that, stands by, that stand by them. In verse 11, they say, men of Galilee... Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. I mean, it's really crystal clear, isn't it? That this isn't any other Jesus. It's this Jesus that you've been with, that you've just witnessed has gone into heaven. He's going to come back in exactly the same way that he went. What's he going to do when you come when he comes back? I hear you say, well, uh, Acts chapter 17 gives us the answer as to what he'll do when he comes back. When he comes back, he will be exercising his role as God's appointed king. And we pick this up in uh, Acts chapter 17, which was actually a, a teaching that, again, the Apostle Paul was giving to people uh, in Athens. Um, and in verse 30 of this chapter, we find this. He says, truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he, God, has appointed a day on which he will judge the world 
in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. Which man? Well, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. It's Jesus who God raised from the dead. It's Jesus who's coming back from heaven in the same way that he went. And when he does come back, it's Jesus then that's God's appointed king. So Jesus is going to come back as God's appointed king. And if we have accepted Jesus as our savior in our life and tried to live accordingly, then we will be invited to reign as kings with him in his kingdom, in God's kingdom on earth. And the Bible teaches us this again very clearly in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, and this is Jesus teaching now, Matthew 25 and verse 31, we read that when the Son of Man comes in his glory, it's talking about the same event, you see, when Jesus comes back as God's appointed king, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Well, which, who are these people then? Well, Jesus goes on to explain what these people are like in the next few verses. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous, ah, we've met that word before, haven't we? People who were, who had, were considered righteous because of their belief or their faith. The righteous, these people then uh, will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When do we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when do we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, in as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. These people then are people who have believed in the sequence of things that I've set before you in this session that there is a God, that, that, that God has caused his message to be written down in our Bibles, which teaches that mankind needs to be saved, that Jesus was sent as the means by which mankind can be saved, that by faith in Jesus we be, can be considered righteous in God's eyes, and that when Jesus returns to be, as God's appointed king, we then can be judged faithful and invited to rule with him in that time. That's what these people believe. And this then is the, the gospel message then in a nutshell, you might say. The gospel message, message in a nutshell is this sequence of things that are presented before you here in this session. This, this succession of what the Christadelphians believe and why sums up what we're all about and sums up the gospel, the good news as presented in our Bibles. Thank you.
Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at btf at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.